0: As I understood it, my life in a psychological experiment began on the day I was born. At 1.38 a.m. on April 10th, 1968, I was delivered in the maternity ward of an Oakland, California hospital. According to my mother, I was a hideous baby. Instead of having two distinct eyebrows, my eyebrows met in the middle to form one long horizontal brow otherwise known as a mono-brow, which, while flattering on the Mexican painter Frida Kahlo or the basketball player Anthony Davis, was unsettling on a newborn. Due to a severe case of jaundice, my skin and the whites of my eyes were a curious shade of yellow, giving me a radioactive glow, and my skull was grossly misshapen, the result of the compression my cranium had undergone as I journeyed down my mother's vaginal canal. Unsure what to do, as if there was anything to be done, or say, as if there was anything to say, about my unfortunate countenance, the obstetrician cut the umbilical cord and thrust me in the direction of my mother. At the time, my father... Handsome, athletic, thirty three, six foot four, from Brooklyn, New York, was a poetry professor at the University of California, Berkeley. And my mother, attractive in a nerdy sort of way, svelte when not pregnant, thirty, coincidentally, I had arrived on her birthday, five foot eleven, from Allentown, Pennsylvania, was an English instructor at UC Extension. They had met while pursuing their respective doctorates at the University of Minnesota and had relocated to the San Francisco Bay Area after my father had secured a tenure-track faculty position in the English department at UC Berkeley. While they intended to start a family eventually, my sister, who was born three and a half years earlier, had been an accident. I had been planned. In those days, doctors believed that if a husband say my father, were to witness his wife, say my mother, laboring to eject a small human being, say me, from her vagina as she sprawled on a delivery table awash in a mess of her sweat, urine, and fecal matter, it could ruin a couple's sex life. As a result, my father had been banished to a waiting room down the hall. Such rooms were known as stork clubs, where he had spent the last several hours pacing, smoking, and eyeing the wall clock, alongside the other stressed out, impatient, flustered father's to be. Finally, the waiting room door opened, the nurse called my father's name, and he was informed that both mother and child were resting comfortably and could be seen shortly. One of the other men offered him a cigar. Another man clapped him on the back, thank God. My father, who was an atheist, thought she'll be tall. He observed some time later, standing sentinel next to a hospital bed occupied by my mother. A nurse had propped her up with pillows and tucked me into the nook of her arm. He was relieved that I was healthy, that I had all of my fingers and toes, and that I was mostly shaped like a normal baby, but he had been hoping for a boy. He had wanted a son to teach how to play basketball. Given my height, which he projected would be exceptional, I could be taught to play basketball, he hypothesized. He started planning how to teach me layups. My mother, whose long, wavy red hair was tied loosely back and who was wearing a white hospital gown with a cornflower pattern, didn't respond. As a post-delivery flood of oxytocin and endorphins coursed through her system, she scrutinized my visage, seeking to divine my future. Trying to ignore my unpleasant eyebrows, eyebrow, she corrected herself, yellowish hue and oddly shaped head. She surveyed my large forehead, long eyelashes, and round face, that reminded her of Richard M. Nixon, who was then campaigning to be the next president of the United States. It was hard to tell at this stage. Perhaps I would be a teacher or a writer or some other thing having to do with language or words or books, like my parents, she speculated hopefully.